I'm going to actually preach to the graduates. You're all welcome to listen in if you'd like. This actually applies to all of us. I asked before, how many remember your graduation? How many remember when your kids were born? Graduation service is a time to, an opportunity to bless our graduates and send them off in the next phase of their life. And these services are truly a time of great transition. Hopefully it'll be one that you remember for a long time. Bertrand Russell once said, I was born in the wrong generation. When I was a young man, no one had respect for my youth. And when I was old, no one had respect for my age. And that seems to be what happens today as well. Now, we in this church have a tremendous respect for young people as well as older folks because I'm getting to be one of those. I'm, I'm going to ask on Facebook one of these days, what is a song that you heard in your youth that means something different to you t than today? And the first one I'm going to put is When I'm 64 by the Beatles. A little bit different than when I first heard it. The truth is the seniors today are the leaders. They're the leaders for this church. They're the leaders for business, and they're the workers for tomorrow. As a, as a graduate, you guys are now obviously adults. You're either starting your college or you're starting your career. And this is also a time your parents have waited for, kind of. You spent the last 18 or 20-some years preparing them to leave. And when they do, you're sad that they left, usually. Usually. You've already made plans for their bedroom, right? When he's gone, his bedroom's yours? Absolutely. Now, in the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes written by Solomon, who was credited as being the wisest man who ever lived, he wrote this. Ecclesiastes 12.1, don't let the excitement of youth cause you to forget your creator. Honor him in your youth before you grow old and no longer, no longer enjoy living. How's that one? It will be too late then to remember him. Now, he said basically remember God when you're young. Because if you try to remember him when you're older, you're not going to do it. What happens when you get older? You get set in your ways. You don't like change. You don't want to do, you don't want to do anything differently, and you're, no one's going to talk you into it. Ecclesiastes, Solomon says, I know that, which means you need to choose now to make that choice because if you're waiting until later, chances are pretty good you're not going to make that choice. And you're going to have wasted your whole life wishing you could have made the choice earlier. The decisions you make now are going to affect the rest of your life. I have here at graduates. Ask any adult and they will tell you that if they could go back, they would make different decisions now than when they were younger. How many adults say that? I wish I could go back and change some things. Make different choices. Well, we are the sum of our choices, good or bad, and we want to make sure that you young people don't make the same mistakes that we made.
Now, there's three things I'm going to talk about this morning, uh, how we make good choices. Priorities, integrity, and attitude. Those are the three qualities we need to have in order to make good decisions and good choices for the rest of our life. Deuteronomy 6.5 says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your strength. That's a priority. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Priority. Exodus 23, 9. Bring the the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. What's your priority? God requires the first and best of everything. What you value is what your priority is going to be. Your priority will also dictate what you do. And your, what you do will dictate what you become. Is your first priority to make money? Is your first priority to become someone famous or important? Or is your first priority even to be a good spouse or a good parent? None of those are bad priorities as long as they're not first. What is your first priority? Because your priorities dictate what you'll do. Not what you like, or even what you want. But what do you have as a priority in your life? Your first priority, as we read in the scriptures, should be the Lord. If the Lord is first, everything else will fall into place. If God is first, what's, one, what's second? Now, we're leaving on vacation in a couple of weeks. God's first on the vacation. What's my next priority? Well, my next priority is to get a duffel bag and pack everything I need for the trip. My wife's priority is to get five suitcases and pack everything for that same trip. Now, do we sit back and relax and just wait for the day to come, and then when the day comes... Just then scurry around. Now, as you saw the set decorations here, if we waited till next Sunday at 5 o'clock to decorate for VBS, we'd be out of luck. The priority is the Lord, but there's also priorities in honoring the Lord. We honor the Lord by taking time to do what we need to do. First priority, and we've been doing this for a number of months now, is praying for VBS. Without God's anointing and God's favor upon VBS, it's just going to be another service. So we pray and trust God to do the work, and then we step in and do what we need to do. It doesn't mean you check your brains at the door when you become a Christian. It means God's first, but then you also make priorities, different goals in your life. To make my vacation successful or to make VBS successful, follow your priorities. Make a list. How many of you have my, like making lists? I was listening to a comedian the other day, Brian Regan. You ever hear of Brian Regan, comedian? He did a thing, he calls himself OCD. And he says, to find out if I'm OCD, I made a color-coded chart. And that's exactly what I like to do. I like to have a list of things, priorities, list them, and be able to check them off. When I go to the grocery store, I have a list of things I have to get, and I scratch them off as I get them. If it's not in the list... I will write it on the list and then scratch it out because I need to know it's on the list. 
your priorities for the Lord should be the same thing. It's not just, I serve the Lord and that's it. What does it entail, serving the Lord? What are your priorities for that? Your priorities will help you succeed in every other area. If your priority is to please the Lord, then God will give you the ability to do your job the best. It'll give you the ability to be the best parent you can be, the best spouse you can be. God will give you those things if you make him first. Many people believe that putting God first in your life means checking your brain at the door. In reality, a detailed analysis of the faith shows just the opposite. How many have heard of Lee Strobel? He was an investigative reporter, atheist, holds a master's in law from Yale, former legal editor of the Chicago Tribune. He has since become a Christian. He's read all those, the case for books. And he says this, taken together I have concluded that this expert testimony constitutes compelling evidence that Jesus Christ was who he claimed to be, the one and only son of God. The atheism I embraced for so long buckled under the weight of historic truth. <coughs> Being a Christian today demands not just a cursory knowledge of the Bible and a cursory knowledge of God. It requires a deep understanding of who God is. That means, that, that's what it means to put the Lord as number one. Do you really know what the Bible says about your father? When you marry someone, you want to know everything there is to know about them. And the more you're with them, the more you understand, the more you become like them, the more you understand and who they are. If you got married to someone and didn't care about anything that they cared about, would you really be married or would you be like roommates? You want to know everything there is to know about your spouse, all the things they like, they dislike, who they are as a person, what they're like when things are going great, what they're like when things are going poorly. You want to know everything about them because you love them. And if you want to know more about God, that's what you need to do. Know everything you can find out of what the Bible says about the Lord. That's number one. When you become a, a parent, sometimes it's easy to put children first. How many have made that mistake? Maybe a little bit. Put your kids first. That's not how a marriage should be. Kids are second. Spouse is number one. Because when kids go, spouse is there. And if someone says, I chose your mom, I didn't choose you, I chose your mom. So when you're gone, mom's still here. That's how it should be with the Lord. God's number one. It doesn't mean numbers two and three aren't important, but God's number one. If that works, everything else will fall into place. The second thing we need to have is integrity. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than gold or silver. Your character or integrity is who you are when no one's watching. Who you are on the inside. Not so much what you do as who you are. Are you the same person in public that you are in private? Are you two different people? We talked about in our class this morning as Christians. We should be the same here as we are at the grocery store. Maybe dress differently. But you shouldn't have a different personality and different demeanor when you're outside of church than when you are in church. People call Christians hypocrites for that very reason. Because we say something in church and we act holy in church and then we act 
like the world when we go outside. We should act the same. That's integrity. Another example is, do you treat one set of friends differently than you treat another set of friends? Do you treat your church family, your friends, differently than you treat your work family and friends? My dad used to work in a men's store years ago. And he never, never swore when he was at home, never swore. But I went to work with him one day, and I was probably 10 or 11 years old, and he said, look, he said, things are different in the store. You're going to hear me say things in the store that I'm not going to say at home. And sure enough, I heard things in the store that I never heard at home. Why? Because he treated those folks differently than he treated us. Not that that was wrong, but as Christians, we should be the same there as we are at home. We shouldn't act differently with a certain group of friends than we do with another group of friends. Do you tell bad jokes and cuss and all that kind of stuff around certain groups, but you don't do that with Christian friends? You have integrity if the same person interacts with both groups. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of your integrity? What does it mean? If I have to give up something to maintain my integrity, are you going to do it? When I was in sales, direct selling, they would tell you that you can elaborate the truth. You can pad the truth on your sales presentation if it meant getting the sale. Well, as a Christian, I couldn't do that. Why? Because I'm going to give up a sale rather than lie to get the sale. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of your integrity? Will you do the right thing even if it means having hardship in your life? Your integrity will follow you long after you're out of college, long after you leave your job. It's going to follow you no matter where you go. You go to someone for an interview. When I, w- I had a number of jobs I had to take a lie detector test for. And they'll call you on anything you, they think you're lying about. If you have integrity, you should have no problem with that. If, you have a, if you're nervous about that position, then you might want to look at your integrity. Why are they asking you something? Why do you feel like you need to lie about it? The word that you have, your word should be absolute. There was a day that a handshake was a deal. You will only become in the future what you are becoming right now. You just be an older version of yourself right now, depending on the choices you make. My brother and I were raised in the same house. I went this way, he didn't. And we are basically adult versions of our younger selves, good or bad. Is your integrity intact? To people in your workplace or your school or your friends, do they see you as a person of integrity? Do they trust what you tell them? Character or integrity is not something that you can automatically acquire at a later date. You can't automatically become a person of integrity if you've lived your life without integrity. It's not going to work. You have to cultivate it now in order to have it in the future. John Maxwell, he is the president of Enjoy Leadership Training Company, says this, when I have integrity, my words and my deeds match up. I am who I am no matter where I am or whom I am with. He calls integrity the most 
single most important ingredient of leadership. Because without your integrity, you'll never succeed. Now you're out of college, you're out of high school. If I were to go back and ask your teachers, what kind of person were you? What would they tell me? What they tell me is your integrity. The last one, the number three, is one of the most important. It's attitude. Philippians 4.10 says, I greatly rejoice in the Lord, and at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I'm in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So, two questions. Think of a person that you admire. Got that in your mind? Who do you admire? It could be famous, it could be somebody that's not famous. What's the one thing that you admire about them the most? When this question was asked to a crowd of people, 95% of the responses had something to do with the person's attitude more than their skill or anything else. Chuck Swindoll says, life is 10% of what happens to you, 90% of how you react to it. We all know people who have hard lives. Things just seem to be really unfair for certain people. Their life circumstances were not great, but their attitude was great in spite of their circumstances. Their attitude enabled them to overcome their obstacles. Walter Emerson says, what lies behind us and what lies before us are tiny matters compared to what lies within us. What's your attitude? Are you always negative that no one wants to be around? Or are you positive and you upbeat in spite of your circumstances? Are you the kind of person that other people want to hang out with? There's a lady in our old church, one of the reasons I got saved. She would come to church, had cancer really badly, younger than I am now, in a wheelchair. I would talk to her and she was always upbeat always excited, always trusting God for something. I said, man, that's what I want. I don't remember any sermons. I know that one. That's the attitude that we Christians can have. And that attitude can affect other people. It did for me. Robert Half Company, a business consulting firm, states that the single greatest reason for firing an employee was an attitude problem. Carnegie Institute concluded that a person's success was due to 15% training and 85% attitude. And guess who's responsible for your attitude? You. Only you. It's said that you can live four weeks without food, four days without water, four minutes without air, but you can only live four seconds without hope. Your attitude is the single most important factor in determining what your success is going to be. If you think you can do it, you can. If you think you can't do it, you can't. 
Do you have a can-do attitude? Or do you have a negative, I can't do that attitude? It's a, it's a brand new beginning for you guys. Three priorities, three things. Keep Christ first. If you place your trust in him, you can be a sort of spiritual success. Second, keep your integrity. Don't lose your integrity over something that's fleeting because once you lose your integrity, you're never going to get it back or it's very hard to get it back. How many remember Richard Nixon when you were alive for Nixon? When I say the word Nixon, what do you think? Say it. Watergate, right? He was, in pre- he was president for, what, six years? Did a lot of good, ended Vietnam, relations with China. What's the one thing you remember about him? Watergate. And I'm sure over the years, if I'm reading right, he's never regained any semblance of respect or integrity because of one thing. You know, in years gone by, preachers were always at the top of the integrity list. Now, not so much. Why? Because of the fall of some, the ridiculous teaching of others. We're all lumped into that we have no, we have no integrity category now. We actually are close to politicians at having integrity. And that's a bad thing. Why do politicians have such a low integrity level? Because they've lost their integrity through their actions in life. Both sides of the aisle. And what happens is we get lumped in to others who have lost their integrity and now we're kind of lumped into that. And that's the same for your faith. That's the same for your family. It's the same for your work. If you have a bad reputation at work, it's going to carry you over to your family. You have a bad reputation in your family, it's going to carry you over to church. If you have integrity at work, it's going to carry you into your family. If you have integrity in your family, it's going to carry you into church. Integrity is really all you have at the end of the day. What will people say about you at your funeral? Lastly, keep your attitudes high. Every part of your life will probably not go as you planned. Any older folks saying amen to that? And you may even hit some very difficult times. There's a lot of times you want to quit. It's only in those times your attitude is going to keep you going. Edison, I forget the stats, I don't have it written down here, but how many failed light bulbs did he have before he got one that worked? 100? 500? I can't remember. He could have quit. All those things, those examples you saw in there, people told them they were going to fail. Their attitude says, I'm not going to fail. And they didn't listen to people with a negative attitude. 
2 Corinthians 1.8 says, We don't want you to be informed, brother, uninformed, brothers, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts we felt the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. <clears throat> Paul was telling this church, <clears throat> excuse me, it was horrible for us. We wanted to die, but we didn't give up hope. Our attitude kept us going. Even though it was miserable, we had a good attitude that God was going to get us through this. Many leaders today as well as yesterday have known many failures, setbacks. Failures and setbacks, how many know, are not sin. It's how you react to these situations that determine your attitude and determine the rest of your life. When these hard things come, hey, the easy things are easy. You don't have to make any choices about those. It's when the hard times come, what are you going to do? What's your attitude going to tell you to do? What's your integrity going to tell you to do? What are you going to do when those bad times come and you're faced with a choice to do wrong or to do right? It's how you react to those that will determine the next step in your life and where you're going to be at that point. If any one of those guys would have said, you know what, chuck it, I'm not doing it anymore. Dr. Seuss got rejected, what, 20 sometimes. Or forget, I'm not writing any more books. No, he kept going in spite of what everyone else was telling him. He reacted with a great attitude. He reacted with integrity and he succeeded because he didn't listen to the world's sayings. Lastly, and we're going to end with this sentence. This is scripture. Remember, if God is for you, what's the Bible say? Who can be against you? God has already mapped out, as Phil read this, this morning, God has a plan and a purpose for your future. It's a good plan. It not, may not be good all the way through. You may not like the plan, but the plan is good. If you're going to be a football player, my grandson wants to play football. He's a little guy. I said, dude, you're kind of small to play football. No, I can do it. I can do it. What it's going to take to play, dude, is going to be this. A lot of punishment, a lot of weight room, a lot of all kinds of stuff going on that you're not going to like. Training in 95 degree heat with full equipment on. You want to do that? Oh yeah, I can do that. I can tell you he's not going to do that. <laughs> but those who do do that, do it and they incur all that negative stuff because they know what the outcome is going to be. They want to put in the time, they want to put in the effort, they want to commit themselves to that and they know what it's going to be at the end. When God calls and says, I have a plan for you, it's the same thing. It may be good smoothing, it may be sales, smooth, smooth sailing, it may be rough seas, it may be all kinds of things, but the plan is to get you over here. And that's a good plan. God says, I have a plan that's not going to hurt you, it's not going to bring you down, it's a good plan to get you where I want you to be, where you can be successful. If you listen to me, you do what my word says, trust me, I will get you to that point, and I'll get you through every hardship to get to that point. If God is for you, 
What can be against you, right? Would you stand as we close this morning? Excuse my sniffing. I, this is just really annoying. And I know all of you are going, yeah, it is annoying. And before we pray, I'll let you know, if, if you sign up for our luncheon today, they're downstairs getting that food ready. So if you signed up after we're done praying, head on downstairs. We'll have a light luncheon, honor the graduates, and uh, just have a good time of fellowship. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We thank you for calling us. We thank you for setting before each one of us your plan and your purpose. And we thank you that as we look back, we can see your hand upon everything that's happened. Things we didn't like, things we didn't know, and things we didn't understand. We can see now where that helped us, where that brought us to where we are today. And Lord, I pray for the graduates who are just beginning that journey now. I pray that you would give them your love today first. Let them know you love them. And whatever they are going to encounter is because they have a father who loves them and cares for them. And it's bringing them to a place where you know they can be their best. And I pray that you would fill them with your Holy Spirit, allow them to know that you care about them, that they have a plan, you have a plan and a purpose for them. Give them a great attitude, give them great integrity, and help them to put you first. And Lord, we commit them to you. And we commit ourselves to that same end. We're no better, we're no different. We need all those things in our lives as older Christians as well. And we pray that you would do that. And we will thank you for what we know we will see in the future for these graduates as we see them trusting God for the decisions they make today. In Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you for enduring my sniffling. Thank you for coming to celebrate our graduates. Would you show them how much you appreciate them this morning?